paying attention online to like video stuff. I was just looking at everything. And uh, there was a lot of reports that uh, the people that actually stormed into the Capitol building were not Trumpers. I mean, did you hear that? Now, let me me, uh, preface this. I'm not convinced either way. I don't know if it's Trumpers or or Antifa or what. I think that will come out. I mean, you'll have to find it. It's not like CNN's going to say, it was all Antifa. The Trumpers were innocent. It's not going to be that. But uh, we don't know. So my family was all texting back and forth, and and uh, what's going on with this one? And I told him, I said, guys, here's the thing. I, I, I think it was dumb to storm the Capitol, but it was dumb. Shouldn't do that. Stupid. If that were Trumpers, come on, that's not who, that's not who conservatives are. It's who liberals are. They've shown that for years. But that's not who conservatives are. We don't, we're not going to march on the Capitol building. But I did say this to my kids. I said, this is the thing is, we are in the scariest time, the most divided time since, I believe, since the Civil War. And, uh, and there will come a time, if you're going to protect the, the Democratic Republic that we have, there is going to be a time when you do have to, you're going to have to storm the steps of something. Um, I, I don't, I, you know, I don't know what else would be as effective as the Capitol. But uh, you, you can't do it with... Um, voices but i'm i'm not a um i'm not a uh let's let's go beat people up for the cause of freedom it doesn't necessarily there is times when you do have to do that when we've fought in wars for freedom um but i think when it comes to your own home front i think you have to be very careful how you think about things and approach things i've talked to people about this when it comes to the second amendment i'm strong hardcore about the second amendment i got guns and uh and you know, the idea of um, <clears throat> you're gonna, you, you won't get my guns unless you pull them out of my dead hands. I, I think you've got to be careful with that kind of thinking. Um, we have, we have um, uh, safety workers and policemen in our church. What happens if Patrick David, one of the guys in our church that's a policeman, what happens if he comes to your house and says, I was told to take your guns? Uh, are you going to shoot him? I mean, I'm serious about this. Because these, these are things that I believe strongly, and I, we make very big, generalized statements in America, but, but it doesn't always work at the, at the individual level. You've got to think it through a little bit more. You know, I, I don't know. I don't know where I'm going to be with that. Um, I, I'm not going to... Today was not... We weren't at the place yet of storming the Capitol. Okay? We just weren't. I... I, I try to tell my kids, though, I said, but there may be a time in the future when that's actually a possibility. And uh, so here's the thing is, let, let's take all of the people in our church that are military people. Are you going to storm the Capitol? You know the answer to that. You can't. You can't unless you go against uh, the uniform that you're wearing. And so you have to, you have to put some things in balance. Um, that's why I, I just believe that the most important thing that we can do is pray. We've got to pray against these demonic strongholds. Guys, this thing is a spiritual thing more than it's a physical thing. What we saw, whether it was Antifa or Trumpers or whatever, what we saw today was people doing something physical, but the spiritual impetus behind it needed to be broken. Okay? And so I do, I do think you've got to really think through these things. It's, it's great to go on Facebook and say, yeah, they should have torn the Capitol down. Yeah, Really? Really? 
I mean, is it, are, are, we, are there places, is there a time in America's future where that will happen? Um, if things keep progressing like they are, yes, I do believe that's the case. And that's weird and that's scary to say, but I don't know. It, you know, if somebody tells me, let's storm the Capitol steps of Colorado State Capitol. Let's do this. I don't know. I'm not scared to. That's not, that has nothing to do with it. I'll, I'll, I'll pull this by myself. I'm not scared of that. But I think there's um, a right way and a wrong way to do things decently in order, and I think conservatism is not built upon that. Um, conservatism is, is built upon decency and integrity and in order and the right way and the wrong way. We know the balance of the two. Conservatives are not Antifa. Let's not confuse ourselves with that. And so I, I think we have to be careful um, how things are progressing. But again, I do believe that right now, today, this actual day and tomorrow and the next week, we are, we are in the most challenging, scariest time in our country since the Civil War. And be careful. Now, this is not, don't overdo this. Don't run with this too much. Be careful when Christians are telling you, oh, it doesn't really matter. We need to calm down and just go with the flow. I'm expecting the world to say that stuff, okay? I, I, they, they should. If, if the lost and sinners are not saying that right now, they're not, they're not paying attention to the inner voice of Satan in their life. <laughs> but, but when Christians are starting to say things like, Guys, it's just another election. It'll all calm down in a year. That's not true. I, every other, I've said that every other election in the past. I've said that. Things will be okay. We're going to deal with some struggles. Uh, even when Obama was elected, I, I was saying the same. Okay, it's going to work out. Things going to be fine. Yes, he's going to make some big changes to our country, but we'll be okay. We can ratchet them back later. We can do some things like that. And then he surprised me at how he could change things so strongly and quickly. And the American people just go, okay. I'm going to make you pay health care. You're going to pay it for, to the government. Government's going to be in charge. Everybody's like, well, okay. You know, those were dangerous things. But obviously, we ratcheted it. We changed it. We fixed it. We put it back, mostly. Okay, but here's the thing. This is not the same thing. We're, we are in a very dangerous place with this right now. Very dangerous place. And so, again, the first thing is we've got to pray. We've got to pray. Second, be, be, be calm in the Lord as everything is going on around you. It's very important. Philippians 4, 7, what, what does it say? Somebody. Uh, that's, that's Philippians 2, I think. Um, and the peace of God will do what? Guard your heart, the way you feel, guard your, the way you think, but How? In Christ Jesus. The Holy Spirit peace will bring peace to your heart the way you're feeling. If you're feeling tur tumultuous, turmoil, tension in your spirit, take a step back and say, Holy Spirit, I need you. The Holy Spirit is not a tension, turmoil, uh, stressed um, God. He is peace. He is. He doesn't just bring it. He is. So take a step back and let the peace of God rule your heart. If your brain is just jumbled and you're, you, I don't know what to do. How's this? What is going to happen? What's going to work out? Saying, you know what I'm talking about. <clears throat> Take a step back. Holy Spirit, I need your peace in my mind. Jesus, you're the one 
You're the one who has secured all of that for me. Holy Spirit brings the peace in Christ Jesus because he died on the cross so that we could be with relationship with God and the Holy Spirit could come and bring us peace. All right? So we got to be careful that we don't, we don't um, ratchet up too much. One of the things, I know I say this a lot, but guys, I, 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 I see Facebook, I see stuff, and I see, and I'm, I'm picking on some of us here and people that are not here that are part of the church, that um, you're, you're listening to this stuff too much. You're on Facebook with arguing with people too much. You're listening to all the stuff and all the news and all the TV and this and that. Shut it off. You say, well, I need to know. I need to know. No, you don't need to know. If you, if you spiritually cannot handle it, step back, turn it off, and just know Jesus. And that's where we're getting to. And I'm, and I'm not, I am picking on us some because we're, we're not doing okay with this. I see, and, and, I, and I'm less and less on Facebook nowadays than ever, but I see these, these long diatribes back and forth and arguing back and forth. And back. What is that accomplishing? Who, who, who drops into one of those Facebook posts and goes, hmm, I've never seen that before. That's an interesting statement you've made. You, I think you might be changing my mind. The next time you see one of those, copy, paste, it, and send it to me. I was about to say, I'll give you $100, but some of you do it with each other just so you get the $100. I'm not going <clears> to. <throat> but look at what my mom said today. You know, that, that guys, that's not, it's, not, it's not an accomplishing thing. It's just getting you stirred up and stirred up and stirred up and stirred up. And pretty soon you're rolling up your sleeves, throwing off the gloves, and you would storm the Capitol. So, so back off. Think about this. If for some reason, um, Facebook went down right now and just disappeared. What? Now some of you are like, <gasps> <gasps> but if if Facebook if Facebook disappeared right now, <clears throat> all of our lives would be better, not worse. Our lives would be better. There's very few things that are on Facebook that are beneficial, except, you know, everybody now, every now and then somebody puts like a scripture, a nice script, like in a meme, right? There's that. But, but here's the thing with that. I, I know this makes, I'm about to, you guys are about to think I'm a bad person. I never read those. I never read those. Why? I read the Bible all day long. Literally, off and on, all day long, I read the Bible. That to isolate a scripture is good, but I think we do it ad nauseum to detriment to our spiritual walk. It's like, oh, that lifted me up. That's my Bible for the day. A meme? That's your Bible for the day? You know what the Bible memes have replaced? Those little boxes with the cards in them, my daily bread. You pull out your one little card and you read your scripture for the day. That's what memes have, that's what memes have replaced. Guys, it, it, it's, it's not going to hurt you to, to just stop looking at Facebook. Stop. Take, take like two weeks and fast from, from Facebook. I guarantee your prayers will be better. You'll be happier. You'll treat people better. you treat your spouse better. That sounded like I was pointing that at Linda. I wasn't. <clears throat> um, but, but seriously, guys, we could do less of this stuff. And you say, yeah, less of Facebook, because we got Parler and me, we, you know. That's not what I'm saying. Get off all of it. Go, go back to 
1999, by doing away with Facebook, we could do this. It will help us. It, it, less is better. You could have read one line today. Um, people have stormed the Capitol building, and that's all you needed to know. Back away from it. You didn't need to know anything else. You don't have to watch all the videos of every single moron running around with the camera jiggling. Well, he did this. I think he finally you know, like, What did you get from that? But we, 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 are, we are insatiated with this stuff. Guys, and, and I do believe, I'm not saying Facebook is evil, Zuckerberg's evil, but I, I'm not saying Facebook is evil, but I am saying how Satan uses it to manipulate you is evil. So stay away. Get back off. Take a fast from it and just enjoy God's presence. And every time you reach over for your phone to turn on Facebook, every time you reach over to your mouse to get, to get on Facebook or your iPad or your or laptop, instead stop yourself, turn uh, the computer onto your Bible or turn your phone onto the Bible and just read a chapter. It doesn't matter where. E- even Deuteronomy, just read a chapter. And, and at least you, it won't be about Facebook. Right? All right. So, so um, I was looking at some stuff. Let me go, now that I've said all that, I want to address some political things. Um, <clears throat> somebody just mentioned to me two weeks ago, they said, yeah, what about COVID and the reinfection rates of COVID? Because people, there's this, there is this um, rumor and that's, that's truly what it is. This rumor that there's these major infection, reinfection rates of COVID that are spreading around our country. And that, because at first people say, once you've had it, you can't get it again, right? And then now there is this reinfection rates. What do you think the reinfection rates in the United States are for COVID? I hear mumbling. Um, I didn't understand what you said. Yes, what is the true? Let's do this. Let me broaden it out to the entire world. The whole globe. What are the confirmed CDC reinfection rates for COVID right now? Not percentage, real numbers. 32. World? Wide. Worldwide. Now, here's my thinking. If there's only 32, maybe the first test wasn't so solid. Now, if you've got 33,000, okay, maybe there's some legitimate conversation, worldwide legitimate conversation, that maybe possibly there's a possibility that you might be reinfected. When the worldwide number, seven plus billion people, it's 32, what does that mean? There is no such thing as reinfection. That's what that means. And here's the thing, is I've seen graphs of reinfection rates in this state, you know, 17,000, reinfections over here, 4,400. I mean, I've seen that all over. But when you dig down and you dig down, there's only 32 worldwide. Guys, there has to come a point where we say, man, maybe this thing just is. I know I've been saying this for a year, but maybe this thing just ain't what everybody is saying it is. What everybody is saying it is, is this crazy pandemic that's killing people. 
It's killing people, but it's not a pandemic that's killing people. It's not running around, but we're still. Go to the CDC website. Go just to the COVID-only deaths, and look at what that number is. It's minuscule. It's not 200,000. It's not even 100,000. It's not even 50,000. It's not even 30,000. It's in the less than 20, somewhere around 20 to, uh, 18 to 22,000 people just from COVID. So we've got to stop. We've got to stop. We've got to let the Holy Spirit um, calm our spirits with this stuff. And I, I can't let this one go unaddressed. Amen. And a woman. Some of these people, I, I am not just trying to be sarcastic. This is reality. Some of these people are so stupid. They don't even understand that has nothing to do with a male. Do you really think we finish our prayers with saying, a male-gendered individual? That this is, guys, this is a Hebrew word that has nothing to do with gender. Nothing to do with gender. Amen and a woman. Oh my goodness. But that tells you where we are. That tells you where we are in our country. Amen and a woman. The same kind of thing where they, where they took the gender away from Congress. Uh, Pelosi made that motion. Took gender away from Congress. That's why they prayed that uh, prayer. That we can't have any gender statements in Congress. I, I, here's my thinking is, then when do I start getting pater, uh, maternity leave? I could. I, yeah, I could. You ain't, you ain't the only game in town. I get, I get pregnant somehow. I, this is the thing with me is, we, we play these stupid games. We say, well, you know, it's, there's, there's no difference between male and female. When you stop going, okay, then, uh, you know, we could go down this road in some really nasty ways pretty quick. But why, why do I not get maternity leave? And you say, well, you do get paternity leave. It's not the same thing. They use the word paternity. That's a male term. Maternity is a female term. So why don't I get maternity leave? I mean, we could go all day with this, but you understand, we have, we have gone to the place in our country where we are so void of, of God in charge that we are truly in the place where, by the way, all, all, 100%, all major um, civilizations, when they get to this place, they crumble. All of, and we have, we have documented proof in history of this. They all crumble because what happens it just becomes the whim of whoever making decisions morally, socially, politically. It doesn't matter. We're just whoever. I, I don't know if I said this Sunday or not, but um, you can find this online. I know Citizens Free Press has a couple articles about it. I know that um, Newsmax had our, uh, some uh, articles about it. But... Um, by the way, Newsmax really is stepping up. They're really, they're, they're becoming, they're filling quickly. They've already filled the void that Fox News left. Um, but Newsmax is pretty solid. Uh, they're pretty solid along the way. If you're saying, well, I, I can't watch all the majors, and, and what about Fox News? They still irritate me all the time. Okay, 
uh, check out Newsmax. I think you might be surprised uh, with Newsmax. But um, the uh, articles about, um, I just lost what I was saying. Yeah, but what was it, what was it talking about? <laughs> you guys are all right there with me. But if you could tell me what I was going to say, that would help. Okay. Um, <clears throat> I don't know. So let's go to Matthew chapter 5. And um, you, you guys know what Matthew 5 is, right? It's, um, yeah, Sermon on the Mount. Very, very, we're, we're only going to focus on, on part of it. I've done this a few times over this last year. We've looked at different parts of it. But I want to I go back to the opening line. And I, and I talked about this about six months ago. But I want to go back to this opening line because I, I think this is important. Um, now, nowadays, since I've been to Israel, when I read the Sermon on the Mount, I see, that, I see it in my head. Lynn and I were out on the Sea of Galilee looking at the, the hillside there. It's basically the only hillside that it could have been on. If, you, if you're on the Sea of Galilee, you look all the way around, like 98% of it could not have been the place where Jesus spoke to the disciples. There's just one hillside over there on the other, one side of the Sea of Galilee where Jesus could have done this uh, with, the, with the followers and disciples. And all this stuff. Not just 12 disciples, but with the followers, you know. And uh, so it's kind of cool because you know... This is why I know we've been saying this, and Lynn and I have been talking about this. We're going to try to figure out how once, if COVID ever finishes, um, the government ever finishes, COVID never started, but um, if, if we could take a trip as, as, uh, to Israel, as some of you would, would go and do that. I mean, I would love to do that. Um, it, it, it surprised me how much, I was looking forward to it, but it surprised me how much it, it, it affected me, impacted me when I was walking along through places in Israel. But I can see that in my head, and I see Jesus sitting there with all his followers. And, and this is what he says, and this is, this is some of the, the most um, profound, encapsulated teaching that Jesus ever does. I mean, Jesus teaches the whole time through the New Testament, and all of it's amazing, life-changing, astronomical. But, but that shows you how, much, how, how powerful this is because it's like the next step up. This, this whole Sermon on the Mount, all he says, and it's not very long. I mean, if you take the, uh, the, the Beatitudes, uh, the rest of this, this, if you include all of it together, the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, it, I mean, it's just powerful, all of it. But I just want to look at just the Beatitudes, and I want to look at one of them, the first one. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Um, how does the King James say it? Blessed are the poor in spirit. That, that, that's, I, I want us to, to think about that and, and process this a little bit. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Now, I do think the way that the New Living unpacks this here is, um, <clears throat> is good, and it's important, but let's, let's look at both sides. Let's look at just the way the King James says it, and then let's look at the way the New Living Translation says it. King James says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. He doesn't, he doesn't say the, the second part and realize their need for him. He just says, blessed are the poor in spirit. 
Now, I do believe the way the translation, the New Living Translation translates this is right. I believe it's correct. But it's interesting that the King James doesn't expound on the statement poor in spirit. Because to me, when I hear poor in spirit, I hear something different than poor in spirit or, or realize their need for him added on to that. Do you understand what I'm saying? Blessed are those that are poor in spirit. Stop there. But then when you add the realize their need for him, that changes the whole thing, changes the sentence, changes the dynamic of the whole thing. Now, I do believe it makes it um, more accurate. I believe that that's what... Um, there's, there's more to the translation than just poor in spirit, if you're looking at it in the Greek. There's more. And, they, and, and I believe the New Living Translation does as well. But let's start with poor in spirit. Um, who would you put in the category of poor in spirit? Who? Spiritually helpless is a good way to say that. So I think this is the I think this has to be the starting point. If you don't start here, I don't think you end up at the right conclusion. If you don't start with I am poor in spirit. I am poor in spirit. If you don't start there, uh, you, you can go on all kinds of, of trajectories that don't end up where it needs to be. Right? Um, because poor in spirit could be people that are um, that are the bad guys, right? Um, are uh, Antifa members poor in spirit? Yes. Yes. So now let's look at that and let's just put that in there. God blesses Antifa members for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Are you following me? Now, according to the King James... That would be a correct way to do that, right? Because King James doesn't qualify. It just says poor in spirit and leaves it at that. It doesn't put the extra in, which is important. Is the kingdom of heaven theirs? No. Nope. Um, I'm trying to come up with categories that... Um, uh, the abortion doctor is the abortion doctor is the kingdom of heaven theirs. How many think yes? Huh? No qualifiers. No qualifiers. Just the abortion doctor is the kingdom of heaven theirs. Right. Okay. So you understand why, and 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 this is. Born out in the Greek, by the way, that New Living Translation just didn't say, you know, we need another, we need an addendum. We need, we need to add on. We need a disclaimer for this poor in spirit group. There, the, the Greek does play this out. See, here's the interesting thing. Let me, let me ask a different question, same groups. Did Jesus die on the cross for Antifa members? Yes. Jesus died on the cross for uh, the abortion doctor? Yes. Does that mean the, those two groups are saved? 
What does it take for them to be saved? What did you say? Repentance. Um, I, I would say that's like step two. There's, there's, a, there's a few things that fall in line here. Recognize their need for God. What would you say? Believe that Jesus is God, then repent, and you'll be saved. Right? So, so there has to be those elements. People are not... Here's another one that, that years ago, like when I first... Even as a teenager, I began to process this. Process this. And then when I... When I um, years later when I got saved, and then later when I got in ministry... All that happened, by the way, in about three years. But um, I began to process John 3.16. Whosoever believes in God will have eternal life. Have you ever met somebody that believed in God that wasn't saved? I have. Because, see, we're having a problem. We're having a problem with two things. We're having a problem with, with language in this verse. From Greek translated eventually into English and then now to our modern English. And we're also having a, a big struggle with, with cultural understanding of that. What culture has, has told our generation, I'm saying within, say, to the last hundred years, uh, in Western civilization, specifically in America, when we use terms like believe. It's not the same as what they were saying originally in John 3.16. I've met a lot of people that believe that God is real. They believe. They know. But they're not Christians. So, so somehow that scripture's got to be different, right? It's got to... Somehow John 3.16, <clears throat> over years, there needs to be a different understanding. It's true just like it is. I'm not saying scratch it out and write stuff in your Bible. It's true just like it is, but we have to acculturate it. And that's where it becomes challenging for us sometimes. There's a lot of things in Scripture that are like this. That when, when they were said then, it, means ex it meant different than what we're hearing or reading when we read it now. It's different. So when King James said, blessed are the poor in spirit, I don't think they were wrong. Um, I do pick on King James some, and I'm not, I'm not trying to offend anybody here, but King James is one of the most inaccurate translations ever. It has proof texting. It has a bunch of stuff. People put stuff in there. You can tell um, how they did it. You, they put stuff in there that, that uh, changed certain meanings, changed stuff. I can give you examples if you really need them. But, um, but King James is pretty inaccurate. But they're not, the King James is not wrong here. Poor in spirit, that's true. But they kind of they dropped off a little bit there. Maybe, maybe in 1600s, when King James started putting this together, how did people put it together? Maybe when you say poor in spirit, they understood that. I, I don't see that in there. But maybe they understood the realized their need for him. So, so John 3.16, whoever believes in Jesus Christ will be saved. What do we know that that means? What's that? Okay. Has accepted him as their savior. But here's it that now, if, if there's anybody here that you're like once saved, always saved, um, I, I, I don't believe that, and I'm going to disagree with that by saying this. 
Have you ever met somebody that has accepted Jesus as their Savior, but they're not a Christian? I mean, these are big questions, right? Big theological questions. Um, I was one of those people. I had accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior and served Him for years. And then I was not serving Him. And I had a guy ask me one time, um, uh, a pastor from a different faith, we were at a Bible study thing, and he said, but you were still saved. No, I wasn't. Well, you were still gone to heaven. Oh, no, I wouldn't have. Anybody been where I'm talking about? You were a Christian, but man, you know. You know if Jesus came back right now, you ain't going. Right? Because why? It's not about just accepting Jesus as my Savior. It's continuing to serve Him. It's not cognitively believing. It's making Him Lord over your life. And when He's Lord over your life, as long as you're pursuing Him, you belong to Him. As long as you're in love with Him and you're trying to be the bride and you're acting like the bride, you're going to make it. But all you have to do is decide in your heart, I don't want Him anymore. And He is not going to make you love Him. He is not going to make you serve Him. He is not going to make you spend eternity with somebody married to them that you don't love. He's not going to do that. And saying, so can you be saved and then sometime later not be saved? Sure. The problem that we have with the, 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 that, that struggle is the terminology. When we say saved, we, we think, okay, I punched my ticket. I prayed, I punched my ticket, I, I got that ticket, I'm holding on to that ticket, and I can go, as, as Scripture says, like all through the Old Testament, even some in the, in the New Testament, I can go prostitute myself to whoever, but I, I, I still belong to my groom. Really? Really? I mean, think about this. Read Hezekiah. He had to go back and get her and bring her back. Is Hezekiah the right book? Hosea. I always say Hezekiah. I don't think Hezekiah is a book. No, it's not. Okay. Pretend like I'm way smarter than that. Okay, so Hosea. I can tell because every time I say that, everybody goes like, I don't think there's a Hezekiah. <laughs> Hosea. Hosea has to go back and get her. He has to go back and get her. And God says, that's what I'm doing with you. I got to go. When you run out there and you prostitute yourself to something else, you belong to that. The Lord has to go back and get us. Now, he is very graceful and he will do this forever. He will do this forever. Well, within, I don't think the right way to say that's forever. Because um, Scripture says there comes a point when he says, nope, you're done. You want that, you can have it. But he has to go back and get us. Why? Because we left him. He will let you leave him. He will let you chase after whatever else is enticing you. He'll let you chase after that. that he's not going to make you serve him. This, this is one of the weird things I've always um, discussed with... Um, you know, eternal security, you once saved, always save people. If you ask them, assuming that they're not hardcore Calvinist and predestination mentality, but even that, even that, you can still have this conversation. If you ask them, what does it take to get saved? It takes faith. You have to believe in Jesus, and you have to repent of your sins. So isn't that a free will statement? 
Isn't that a free will? You're choosing Jesus? Because not everybody, you're not born saved or not saved. You have to get saved, right? Don't you choose that? And all, all theologians would agree with that. You have to choose to accept Jesus as your Savior. So then after you get saved, he takes your free choice away? You're now an automaton? You're now a robot? That now you're just in lockstep and you're going to go to heaven whether you want to or not? Think about what I'm saying. But we do this theologically. Whoever believes in, on Jesus Christ will be saved. Guys, that, we have to work on that scripture because it doesn't just mean cognitively recognize that Jesus is God. There's a lot of people that cognitively recognize Jesus is God. They believe in the virgin birth. They believe in his miracles. They believe that he died on the cross to save them. There's cognitive understanding of all those. They believe that he's, he's God in, in cooperation and, and um, perfect unity and, and a sameness but separateness with God the Father and the Holy Spirit. They recognize all those things. But are they saved? Not unless they surrender their soul by choice to Him. Surrender. Lord, this is not my life. It's your life. Now, here's, here's where we go really wrong in American Christianity. We have built a Christianity in America right now that says as long as I kind of cognitively go along with it, I'm not a dissonant, but, but I'm, I'm cognitively going along with the reality that Jesus is Lord and Savior, and I like pray to Him every now and then, or I go to church, or I do these kind of things. Um, I'm a Christian. I'm on my way to heaven. Guys, and I know that this demarcation is difficult when I, when I say these kind of things. I don't believe that that makes a Christian. That's, that's the difference right there. That is, that is the answer. There's a difference between here and here. And it's not just a knowledge. It's the, what do you do with that? I surrender. Do I surrender my life or, or is it still my life? Shall we? Yeah, this is something, I, I used to say this a lot over the years. <clears throat> um, uh, this, this irritates people the way I say it, used to say it, so I don't say it this way anymore, but it's still true. Um, most demons, I mean demons have, usually have a better relationship and understanding with God than most Christians in America. They do. They're more afraid of God than we are. They're more submitted to God than we are. Think about this. When Jesus walked up to demon-possessed people and he called out, immediately the demons submitted. We don't do that. We'll fight for our right to party. It's amazing what we do with that. It's amazing how we will fight against God. The demons submitted immediately under the authority of Jesus Christ. Immediately. Demons know the Bible better than most Christians I've ever met. They fear God. All these other things. And Scripture says that. But we think we can kind of live some kind of casual life and, uh, and everything's good. And, and here's the thing is, the, is Satan has convinced us of that. And then he carries us all the way to the steps to eternity and when we pass into eternity, he laughs at us about it. He's the one who talked us into it, and then he laughs at us when we get there. Because we're, we're playing games. So here, now let's go back to the New Living Translation. God blesses those who are poor 
and realize that now this is the poor in spirit. Okay, the in spirit part in King James is they realize their need for him. Although I don't, for me personally, I don't get that when I read King James. It doesn't, it doesn't jump out at me. In fact, I struggled with some of the Beatitudes when I read them in King James. It, it took me years later when I began to really analyze this, break this down, look in other translations. I, I, I uh, took Greek because I had to. When you look at Greek and you begin to look at some of the things in the Scripture, you realize, wait, there's more to this than the way the King James is saying it. Because I struggle with some of the Beatitudes the way they say it in King James. They don't make sense to me. Uh, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Not just because. There has to be more. What is the more? And they realize their need for him. See, guys, this is where we all get to. When do you realize your need for him? Now, this is where we still have to even take this a little bit. Because we can realize our need for him. Who, who's, Paul and I were talking about this. The difference between um, spending time in dialogue with the Lord, praying, listening, praying, talking, listening, and, and uh, praying for things. Okay? Now, God, God is not worried about you asking him for things. He wants you to. He, he, in fact, if you look through Scripture, God is almost begging us to ask him for things. We see that all through. You don't have because you don't ask. He's, he's telling us all the time. I'm reading the Scripture Sunday about the woman that's just persistent. The judge finally says, okay, lady, I'll give you what you need to get you out of my hair. And, and, and God is saying that's kind of like God, except God's way bigger and cooler and better. He wants us, he wants us to beg, not beg, petition. He wants to seek, he wants us to see, he wants us to ask him for things. But isn't there something different about that transition between um, supplication and just um, communication? Discussing, talking, listening, worshiping. Isn't there a transition there? How does the Lord's Prayer start off? Submission, humble, humbling ourselves, our Father in heaven. You don't, you don't truly mean that unless you have submitted and humbled yourself. See, see this is one of the things with me. I, I believe that talking to God, I, I don't want to use the word prayer because we, we categorize the word prayer. Um, but talking to God, I believe, is one of the greatest faith things you can ever do. Just talk to him. Submit yourself to Him. Those are faith things. If you begin to pray and seek God, seriously seek God, that has to come from faith. Either that or you're crazy. Literally, I, I, I had these discussions sometimes with my kids when they were growing up just to process it. Um, specifically, my, my oldest son started witness to a lot of his uh, Mormon friends and bringing them to our house for Taco Tuesday. And, um, and uh, I was like, okay, man, I, I guess I can let a bunch of Mormons mess up my Taco Tuesday. But either way, so they're, you know, they're all sophomores, juniors in high school, and, and he would invite them over. In fact, we'd play games with them. We did this one time. This one girl, she was scared to death. She, was, she wasn't a Mormon. She was just like, like Linda, like an agnostic, atheist, um, a teacher's daughter. Um. So we had had some of the Mormon friends over, and we do. Sometimes we still do this to the day if we remember. If we have somebody new in the house and they don't know who we are, but they know 
I mean, they, they aren't familiar enough with us to have been at our house, but they know who we are, and we know what they believe and stuff like that, and they know we're Pentecostals. They're a little not sure. So what we do, and our whole family will just do this. We, we've done it for so many years, we just do this. They're sitting there, and we go, well, let's pray for the meal, and they're like, you can tell they're a little nervous, but they'll bow their head, maybe sometimes do something like this. And all the rest of us do this. And I'll say, God! And, and we, we did that to this little atheist girl one time. And she literally got up and started for the door. I'm not, she did. She was like, and then Jonathan said, it's, it's okay. We're just joking. That's, that's not how we pray for our meal. Um, I, don't, I don't know why I'm saying, oh yeah. But uh, here, here's the thing with, with really praying and really seeking God. When you submit yourself to God, when you submit yourself and you're not making it up, you're not, you're not, it really is a faith thing to the point where, and this is, this is where I would teach my kids this and talk with this. I've done this many different ways. Is try to analyze Christianity. Now, if you got saved later in life, this is way easy for you to do. But if you grew up in the church, this is difficult for you. Try to look at your belief system from the eyes of somebody that just hurt is hearing about it right now. Think about that. It's, it's bizarre, some of the things we believe. Now, here's the cool thing. They're true, but it takes faith to believe them. I, I've talked to people about this before, about tithing. Tithing is one of the weirdest, most irrational things there can be. Without a submission to a holy God, tithing makes no sense. You mean, I'm going to take 10% of my, my gross, not my net, Okay, sending you on the fence on that. The Lord said, first fruits. That's before anybody else gets it, including the government. Okay? So gross. That means you gotta, when I first, my kids first started getting paid, and I would make them look at their check and look at that, and they would say, what's gross, what's net? This is your gross, this is your net. They're taking a lot of money out of my check. That's why you vote against taxes. So when you bring tithe to a, a local church, and you give your tithe to a local church, no strings attached, that's the, that's the teaching, that's scriptural teaching on tithe. If you're designating tithe, according to scripture, it's not a tithe. Okay? I, I know I'm picking on us here a little bit. The offerings, you can designate all day long. Scripture talks about that. But if it's a tithe, you can't designate it. According to scripture, you're supposed to bring it to the storehouse, give it to the storehouse, and then the storehouse does the work of the ministry. Okay? That's the church, this local church. Guys, that makes no sense. That's cult talk. Right? Except for one thing. I have submitted myself to the God that's in charge of all of this. And when we say things like church, we don't mean just a place where people show up. We're talking about us, the body. We're talking about the things. Um that God is doing in our life. I mean, we could go all day long. When you submit it to the king, then what, what is the tithe actually? The tithe is not give this to the temple, the storehouse, the church, so they can do stuff. That's what happens when you do it. But the tithe is truly a submission that says, God, you're in charge of all my finances. I'm going to give you this 10% as a submission to you that shows in a physical, tangible, uh, real way that my submission to, is to you financially also. Not just uh, the other ways. 
One of the things about a, a, a church attendance is saying, I am poor in spirit and I realize my need to be with other people. I get the question all the time from people. All the time. For years and years and years, do I have to go to church to be a Christian? If you're asking the question, you don't understand what being a Christian is. You don't know what being a Christian is. You think being a Christian is a church attender. Being a Christian is somebody that has surrendered and submitted themselves to the king. And they become part of the body. And when I'm part of the body and you're part of the body, it's important that we be near each other. Right? You ever been to those, um, um, I don't know, body works? You ever been to body works? Anybody ever been to a body works? Amazing. Absolutely amazing. I do think we scarred our daughter. She was like seven. But, um, but body works, one, my, one of my favorite parts of body works, does anybody not know what I'm talking about when I'm talking about body works? Okay, um, first go, go online and just look at it. Just look it up because it's amazing. If it's ever near you, if it's ever in a museum, it'll be a museum. If it's ever in a museum near you, um, that when we went, it was probably 15 plus years ago to museum in Denver, Denver Museum and Arts. So they take human bodies that have been donated for this and they pull all the skin off of them. Okay? And then it's just muscles and eyeballs and, and bony fingers and veins. It depends on how deep in they go, right? And they do it in layers. And some of you are like, Ugh! no, it's amazing. You, you see the human body totally different. But one of them is where they take the body and they chop it into like 20,000 pieces. This is no skin. No, chop it into 20,000 pieces. And then they separate it out about three or four inches. All the pieces out about three or four inches. I do have a point. I do have a point. But the body works is amazing. Guys, if you ever get a chance to go to a body works, go to it. It is one of the most intriguing scientific understanding things about the human body you'll ever see. Yes, ma'am. Um, I, I believe we have rules in America, laws that, that China doesn't have. Because I did think about it. We discussed that at one particular time. But what happens is you get to see, you get to see the inside of the body. You get to see, like they'll take all the muscles off and you see just all the blood veins, all the, the, the vascular system. They'll take that and you get to see the nervous system. But on a real person, these are real people that have donated their body to this. Now, let me get to the, back to the exploded part. You take the exploded part. I, I rounded a corner in the museum, and I see this body, and it's all exploded out. The eyeballs are out here. The skull's out. You know, the, the, the chest muscles are out. The arms are, you know, everything is exploded out. Like somebody just dropped a bomb right in the middle and just blew the body out about four inches, and they stopped the film right there. The first thing I thought about is many people think that's how the body of Christ works. I can be out on my own. My toe does not have to be joined to the foot. I'm still a good toe. If you're weird and you want to try this experiment, cut your toe off, set it off to the side for a few weeks, and see how healthy it is. Just see how healthy it is. I cut my toe off when I was about 78, 8. I was turning 9 that summer. Is, is that about right? Uh, yeah, okay. Asking my brother, he would remember too. He was there. Um, I was putting a bed, together a bed frame, you know, where the headboard goes on to the flat metal part with the holes in it. I stepped over that and my pinky toe went in. 
the bed frame, and I just kept going. And uh, little toe. And um, here's the thing about that. Sewed it back on. I have it today. Don't be worried. I have it today. But probably three or four years, I couldn't feel anything in that toe. And I would try things like stick needles in it and stuff like that because uh, I was a kid, you know. But I couldn't feel that toe for years. And then one day I started feeling, so I stopped all the experiments. But here's the thing is we think we can operate separate from the body of Christ. And we have built a church context today that is okay with a separation of, from the body of Christ. Do I have to go to church? If, you, if you're asking that question, it's because you don't know what a body is. You, you think that this is a collection of people that go to a church. If you're confused about things, like, here's a big one. Now, our church is really healthy with this. But guys, um, uh, as newer people are coming in and as we're doing all kinds of things, guys, we always are going to be pushing this as a church. You've got to get involved and do something. You've got to get involved to do something. And, and when, I, when I say those things, people say, well, you just want a bunch of people doing all the things that you want. Yes. But that's not the reason I say it. One of the most important things for you is to be an active member of the body. To be a healthy member of the body. To do something that helps. That when, when little toe gets ripped off, you're the rest of the foot that just brings him back in and holds on and makes him great again. Because why? We need the body. You need the body, I need the body. We've got to have that. And so, so some of this, the submission thing, it's not just poor in spirit, but I recognize my need for him. How? In every way. How do you need, how do you need Jesus? In your marriage? Yeah. As an individual? Just take the marriage and break that into not just as the couple together, but what, is that, what about the individual in the marriage? You're still an individual in that marriage. Yes, you're one in Christ. But, but one in Christ doesn't, just because that's what happens spiritually, does not mean that happens cognitively and, and associatively and, and, um, and uh, relationally. Right? We know that. So you've got to have, you've got to realize your need for him. Why? Because in your marriage, you are poor in spirit. You've got to recognize that. Don't ever get to the point where you think, I'm not poor in spirit anymore. Because this is, this is one of the things that I think, I, I, I have to be careful how I say this because it sounds like arrogance and I don't, I, I just, I'm, I, that's not what being totally run out of the ministry. I think one of the things that has kept me from being totally run out of the ministry over the years, is I may not be the greatest leader, greatest preacher, all this other stuff, but I do know this. Nobody loves Jesus more than I do. Nobody does. I love him with everything in me. And, and that's, that's my compass. That's why I read the Bible. Man, I love Jesus. There's some cool things he wants to tell me. That's why I get in Scripture. That's, that's also, by the way, that's also why I like to preach. Because I believe God shows me some t things sometimes that, that I literally, I, I'm itching to, to get up here and say, guess what? God showed me this. And I want, now, if you already know it, then I just want you to nod appreciatively and, you know, yeah, just do something like that, okay? Um, 
But what I'm looking for is when I say it and you go, that's what I'm looking for. Because I want God to show it to you too. I want God to show you stuff. I want him to show you stuff every single week. Why? Because you're poor in spirit. I'm poor in spirit. And I, and I realize my need for him. Be careful when you ever get to the point where you think you are not poor in spirit. Because here's the thing. The kingdom of heaven is no longer yours. Right? I mean, isn't that what it says? God blesses those who are poor in spirit and realize their need for Him forever for the kingdom, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. The moment you stop thinking that you are not poor in spirit and you don't need Him, the kingdom of heaven is no longer yours. And that, by the way, that's where we have got to and as a country. We have gotten so self-proud, self-focused, arrogant, um, self-realized. You, you know what I think is one of the nastiest, dirtiest terms in the United States right now? Woke. Everybody that thinks they are woke are so deeply dead they don't know it. A woman. That, oh, a woman. Ah. And we've got an entire generation that thinks they're woke. Why? Because they believe that um, abortion's okay. And they don't know they're poor in spirit. They don't know they're poor in spirit, but they are. That the LGBT agenda, it's okay. It's good. It's healthy. They don't know they're poor in spirit. They don't know that they're dead. They don't know it. Because physically alive, so they just assume everything's good. And they're physically dead, according to Scripture. Dead. Guys, that's why we have to. We have to be focused on, I am poor in spirit. And I realize my need for Him. And then, when you're looking at people, and this is where we've got to, the, the church is going to be challenged over the next couple years with this. Because I, I really do believe that we're going to start seeing, specifically in places like California, um, New York and stuff like that, we're going to start seeing churches shut down. I'm not saying individual churches. I'm saying the state is going to make rules that if you don't um, agree with abortion, LGBT stuff, if you don't agree with this stuff, then you are no longer going to be allowed to have a 501c3 status. That's how they're going to do it. And most churches cannot pay the taxes on their property. It's too much. I always use New Life. They're the easiest example. If New Life gets their, their 501c3 taken away next week, they will have to shut down. They do not have enough money to pay the taxes on all that property in that building. Nobody keeps a few million dollars sitting in the bank account every year just for taxes. Okay? And so that's how it's going to start happening. The states are going to start shutting us down. The states are going to start closing churches. And it's amazing when I say that how many Christians will say, no, that's not true. You're just being silly. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. 
it's the same thing. Um, my middle son keeps saying, in fact, he said it today, he keeps saying when, they, when, when we start doing this, when they start um, making churches register and all these other things, which, guys, that is on our horizon. It is. If you don't think it is, your eyes are closed. That is on our horizon. He said he's going to get a big yellow star David and attach it to his, all of his clothing. Well, today he asked me, he said, he was texting, and he said, do you think if I put a big yellow cross that everybody will understand the significance? I said, the Christians will. Nobody else will, but the Christians will understand. That's the same thing as a yellow star, David. And that's where we're headed. By the way, if you haven't read stuff about Bonhoeffer, and Metaxas, is, I've read three or four different ones. His is the best, hands down, the best uh, biography of Bonhoeffer. It's amazing. Bonhoeffer would stand in his, in his little church, and they would sing these Lutheran hymns. And he would talk about this because he traveled to other churches and, and, and preached in places and went to national. He, they, they tried to pick him to be national leader and regional leaders and all that stuff, and he always turned them down. And he said he would stand in services, and when the train started coming by with all of the, the Jews locked in the cars of the trains, the church would sing louder to drown out the noise because most of the German church was pro-Nazi and anti-Jewish. Most of the German church. And when he preached against it, he was vilified for it. You should read it. Grab it. And it's a big old book. It's a big old book. But grab it and read it. It'll, it'll, it is so much what we are dealing with right now. So much. I'll give you another thing to read. Um, it's, this one's short. Er, um, because uh, Dr. Matthews asked me the other day, uh, him and Susan haven't started coming back to church yet physically here in the building. They watch every week. But I meet with him every Tuesday because we talk to our pastors in India. And so he asked me about this. He said, isn't there something that C.S. Lewis talked about, the atomic age and how the church reacts to it? I said, I remember something about that. So I began to look around, and you can go to, to C.S. Lewis websites. There's a few and look it up and just read it. One of them's kind of short, one of them's a little longer. It's like the amended version or whatever. Read the atomic age and how Christians respond to it. It's, it's amazing. If you just took atomic age out right now and put um, COVID in, it is bizarre how exactly what is going on in our society today, how the church is supposed to react to it. What, is, what does Solomon say? Nothing new under the sun. Okay. So, guys, we're going to pray. Um, you, you know, I don't say this very often, but I'm going to say this tonight. Please, please be here this weekend, Sunday. Um, uh, we, need as, we need everybody possible to be here. Uh, we're going to do something a little different at, toward the end of the service than, than I've done before. I don't, I don't think I've ever done this. I don't remember if I have. Um, but but uh, we're going to do something a little different. I'm just going to leave it at that. Um, but, <laughs> but because I don't want to tell you because you may not come. I think you would, but, um, but, it, but I think spiritually we need to take some steps, um, and, and we're going we're gonna to do that Sunday. And so, um, so let's, let's pray. Let's pray now. Um, how, how do you think we should pray about all this that we've talked about? Yeah, God, your will, which is a submission and surrender thing, right? Yes, ma'am. Yes, I would, I would say uh, anytime you pray for boldness. This, the reason I say this is because I know who I am, okay? Maybe for you this isn't as big of a deal. Um, I would say definitely for Brooke, this is not as big of a deal as it is for me. Anytime I pray for boldness, 
I also pray for wisdom. Because um, I don't struggle with boldness. Right? I struggle with when to be bold. How to be bold. Maybe this isn't a bold moment. <laughs> right? So boldness uh, tempered with uh, wisdom. Okay, that's a, that's a good thing for us to pray. What else? What should we pray for? <laughs> Don't even put those together. I, I'm very uncomfortable with that. That's, that's good, what we're saying. Give me Jesus, you can take the world. Give me Jesus. Be to Jesus, whatever he said. I feel like Fonzie. Some of you don't have a clue what I'm saying. Uh, Linda, did you say something? Peace in our spirit. Remember, sometimes you just got to take a step back and say, Lord, I need peace. I may not need boldness right now. I just need peace because they're all nuts. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Pray for churches, pastors, leaders, uh, denominational leaders, national, regional leaders, um, that there'll be men and women of God. Yeah. Yeah, because at the end of the day, Compromise is compromise, you know. Here's something that we, we talked about and we jumped over and we need to pray for this. I, I think we're, we, we have to pray, Lord, help me to always keep in mind that I am poor in spirit and I need you. Don't ever let me get bigger than that. Don't ever let me get more arrogant than that. I, I am poor in spirit and I realize my need for you. Submitted. Okay, let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for you. God, you are so big. Lord, you are showing me that in ways that it's amazing me how big you are and, and how much time you want to spend just making sure we know that. Before the foundations of the world, you knew us. You knew us while we were in the womb. You called us while we were in the womb. You set us apart while we're in the womb. God, you have a purpose for us. You have a plan. So help us to stay right there. Help us to dig in right there. That I'm, I'm a child of the king. The king of everything. And people can run around and, 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 and shoot their mouth off. They can say stuff anywhere and how they want. They can, they can make rules and changes. But at the end of the day, you are the king. And all I have to do is just bow my life to you. So, Lord, help me to always realize, stay strong with the reality that I am poor in spirit. And that I realize my need for you, Jesus. I realize my need for you. God, I pray for everyone here. That if, if, if anybody's struggling with that or, or, or maybe even being a little lazy or hypocritical about it, God, just convict us and just pull us in. It's too important that we realize our need for you above everything. God, anybody that's part of our, our church extended, anybody listening online, Lord, help us, help us to, to realize our need for you more than anything right now. We've got to know you. Lord, we do pray for our country. 
But uh, Lord, we pray, we pray that your will be done more than anything to our country. Just your will. Lord, I don't know. I, 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 sometimes I don't, I don't know what we need in Washington. I think I do, but God, I surrender what I think and I submit it to your will. Lord, your will. God, we, we, just, we just trust you with this. Do give us boldness, Lord. We need more of that as a church. We need more of that across, across all across America. We need boldness. But give us wisdom too. God, we pray for church leaders. We pray for denominational leaders. We pray for pastors. We pray for the church all across our country. Lord, I, I do believe the line's been drawn. So God, pull people close to you. Help pastors realize they are poor in spirit and they need you. Help denominational leaders really sit about a, a, a growth plan or a ministry or anything. It's about submission to you. Help us to realize that and give them boldness to do the right thing. Lord, help them not to cave to pressure. It doesn't matter what the pressure, whether it's people, finances, or whatever. God, help them not to cave, but to be bold. Just stand in you. If they'll stand in you, you'll meet them right there. Sweep this across the church. And I pray just for Colorado Springs that, that people all over Colorado Springs that are struggling, they're looking for truth. Lord, there are churches all over Springs that are standing strong. Help them to, help them to migrate there. And Lord, to, to, to say this openly, I, I don't think my heart's wrong here, but God, you convict me if it is. God, pull them out of dead nothing churches that are compromising and put them in places that will stand for you. And build those places, build that leadership, build those churches to where they can be a voice. I pray this for you, your glory to be done and your will to be done. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. And all right, go home quick. Drive right past government buildings. Do not invade them. Go straight home.